1: Hello and welcome to episode 268 of the UK True Crime Podcast. I'm Adam. So a very happy new year to you. It's going to be a great year, isn't it? Isn't it? (laughs) Of course it is. What could possibly go wrong? In our first episode of 2022, today we head to South Wales and Swansea, where we again delve into the mucky, murky world of drugs, and look again at the violence that accompanies the UK drugs trade. Real violence that destroys real lives. I would like to thank all my supporters at Patreon, and especially the new members of this exclusive club. That is Jamie Wintle, T. Thelwall, Luke Nash, Sasha V.S., Bethany Muldoon, Kath Baker, Zanthe Duncan, Esther R. Edwards, and Catherine Fairfield. Thank you so much for supporting this podcast at Patreon. It is really, really appreciated. Okay, so no adverts today, so let's get straight on with setting some context of the story with our guest the month and year game. Top of the UK and US singles chart was Drake with God's Plan, and in Australia, the top album was Ed Sheeran. In the news this month, North Korean leader Kim Jong-un met South Korean officials for the first time since taking office, Forbes named Amazon founder Jeff Bezos the world's richest person for the first time at $112 billion. A particularly shadowy figure in the underworld, reviled in some quarters was at number two, Bill Sykes, sorry, Bill Gates. Toy chain Toys R Us announced it would close all its stores after filing for bankruptcy. And a bushfire in Tathra, New South Wales, Australia destroyed 70 buildings. And in the UK, the former Mayor of London, Red Ken Livingstone, was suspended from the Labour Party indefinitely amid claims of anti-Semitism. Did you guess the month and year? It was March 2018. So on to today's story, which comes from Swansea in South Wales. With a population of almost 250,000 people, Swansea is a great city and I spent loads of time there when at university in South Wales. It's also probably the place where I came closest to a premature end after a night on the Mumbles Mile, when after leaving the nightclub Cinderella's, I decided to take a nap on a wall with a sheer drop to the sea, as you do. Thank you very much, Mr Bouncer, for waking me and moving me. When we pick up today's story in March 2018, sixty seven year old John Williams, known as Jack to his friends, lived in a traditional terraced house in the Bonnie area of Swansea. Nestled in the hills a mile or so northeast of the city, it's a community of around six thousand people which overlooks Swansea. Jack Williams was born in Luton. His father John was Welsh, but after seeing active service in Dunkirk and the Battle of Elmain, El He settled in the Bedfordshire town and worked at the Vauxhall Auto Factory. But he missed home and the family relocated back to Swansea in 1965. Jack wasn't particularly academic, but he was very practical and after school became a carpenter and a master builder. He had three children with his wife, but the couple divorced in the late 1970s. Jack had another child from another relationship, but after his divorce, he bought the house in Bonomain, where we find him in 2018. He didn't marry again, and in recent years he'd worked with his brother David. But after a lifetime of seemingly being wise with money, Jack was able to retire from work in 2013. But as many people who think they're able to retire find, it can be pretty tough to survive in our increasingly expensive world. Jack had moaned to his brother that the pensions he received were not good enough, for the lifestyle he wanted to enjoy. And it wasn't as though Jack lived the exotic, globetrotting lifestyle of a rock star or top 37 UK true crime podcaster. He mainly enjoyed gardening and following a football team called Swansea City. Never heard of them. But he mainly did this via TV, as tickets were too expensive. Money was clearly an important issue for him as he not only made all his own furniture, he'd even given up his other major hobby of tropical fish, as the electricity to keep them had proved too expensive. What his family didn't know was that Jack had started making money through selling cannabis. As you'll know, in the UK, cannabis is still illegal, and some still believe we are still fighting a war on drugs, even though this was clearly lost a long time ago. What this means, of course, is that as it's a criminal activity, the risks you face if you choose to deal in cannabis are very real. On Saturday the 30th of March, Jack's football team were due to host Manchester United. Jack was looking forward to watching the game, but he never had the opportunity to do so. It was lunchtime on that Saturday when Jack's body was found. His ex-girlfriend Diane was still close to him and when he didn't answer her call, she was concerned and went over to his house. She was even more worried when he didn't answer the door, and as no neighbours had a key, she managed to break a vent in the kitchen door and unlock it. But even as she'd done this, fearing the worst, she could never have guessed the scene of sheer terror she would stumble upon. Diane found Jack's lifeless and beaten body on the living room carpet of his house, with his hands tied behind his back. There were smells and sights that will stay with Diane until she takes her final breath. She later described what happened, saying, I ran towards him, I touched his neck, it was frozen. I knew he had passed away. I screamed and ran towards the front door. Her friend who had driven her to Jack's house rushed in and saw Jack saying, What I saw will stay with me forever. I saw her body on the floor. Diane was hysterical. I saw there was blood near his head. He added that the living room looked like an atom bomber gun gone off, as it had been ransacked with stuff all over the room and furniture overturned. Both knew immediately that this was no death from natural causes, and shaking, Diane called the police who was soon on the scene. The detectives were joined by cameramen, as the South Wales force were being filmed at the time for an ITV programme that you may have seen. Code Blue, murder. If you haven't seen it yet, do check it out. In the programme, we see the lead detective working on the case, Superintendent Richard Jones telling his team, there's an awful lot to be done. I'm sure the answer is out there. It's a Category A, it's undetected, and as things stand, we've got no suspects. Officers got to work and quickly recovered dozens of cannabis plants from the pensioner's loft and in a money box in the kitchen, missed by his killer, assuming that robbery was the motive, there was over £10,000 in cash, which officers believed was money that Jack had made from selling drugs. But old-fashioned policing paid dividends very quickly, as one neighbour had some key information. She told officers on the night that Jack was murdered, she remembered a distinctively dressed woman come to her front door to ask her where Jack lived. And another neighbour had CCTV at their house, which clearly captured Jack's front door. And this distinctive woman was seen coming out of Jack's house with two men in the early hours of the night that he was killed. This had to be Jack's killers. And one of the detectives knew exactly who this woman was. She was 31-year-old Gemma Owens. Like many of our big cities... Swansea at the time had, and still has, a big drugs problem, especially heroin. Gemma was well known as a heroin addict, and she described to a friend what effect heroin had on her life. She said, I have it, heroin that is, as soon as I wake up. The first one doesn't really have an effect, it just makes you feel better. The second one makes you feel a bit off it, it makes your head a bit floaty. She explained how she'd fallen out of her grandma after Gemma had no money one time and had stolen her grandma's jewelry to pay for drugs. She said, my grandma don't talk to me anymore. I was sick of hurting other people's feelings. So I became a prostitute. I'd rather sell myself than hurt other people's feelings. Unfortunately, this experience of heroin was common to detectives as we've heard so many times on this podcast heroin is a drug that ruins lives. Detectives didn't think that Gemma was the person who killed Jack, but they learned that she'd recently started dating one of the other men recognised from the CCTV, 42-year-old Jonathan Don. He was also well known to them as someone who taxed drug dealers, as it's known, often using extreme violence. This so-called taxing worked at the drug dealers who were robbed and had their drugs taken away as they could hardly go to the police to complain. But I think it's fair to say it's a precarious way of making money as the source of people you are stealing from are very likely to seek revenge. But this taxing gave Don a clear motive for being at Jack's house at midnight on a Friday. And Don had already spent time behind bars for killing his ex-girlfriend Detectives check the details of the case, and a very sad story it is. Michelle Harkett from Swansea had been just 36 years old when she died. It was a tragic death for the mum of four, who by the time she was killed, was living with Jonathan Don, her boyfriend of four years, in a seedy Swansea flat, and her life was chaotic and ruled by heroin. It was just after 7.30am on the 16th of May 2008 that the caretaker at the couple's council block saw a trail of blood droplets leading from the 8th floor down to the 6th floor of the building. The caretaker then saw Don walking down the stairs with another man. Don was clearly on the edge. His hands were stained with what looked like blood and he was agitated and in tears as he told the caretaker Something has happened to my missus. Phone for an ambulance. There's something wrong with her. The police were called and shortly afterwards, two community support officers found Michelle's lifeless body in their flat, surrounded by a pool of her own blood. There were no other witnesses to what happened, but Don initially claimed that a man called Lee Holt was responsible. Detectives didn't believe him. And with no evidence to back up this claim, Don eventually changed his story and instead pleaded guilty to Michelle's manslaughter. He told how Michelle had died the night before when the couple had argued over drugs and Don headbutted Michelle in the face. He claimed that shortly afterwards Michelle emerged from the kitchen with a knife in each hand and sticking out of her thigh was a pair of scissors that Don said Michelle had used to stab herself with. As she approached Don, in self-defence he grabbed her, threw her on the floor and jumped on her. And in the altercation, Don stabbed his girlfriend multiple times, killing her. So why manslaughter and not murder? Well, in court his QC said that this was on the grounds of lack of intent, as Don had set out to defend himself, but ended up using disproportionate force. The court case was desperately sad, as the facts surfaced about the couple and their lifestyle, showing the sheer desperate nature of living with a hard drugs addiction. It is no life as you or I may see life. And shockingly, even after killing Michelle, Don had reached inside her body to remove a packet of heroin that she'd hidden, in an intimate area inside her body. The judge sentenced Don to 14 years in prison in March 2008, saying This is a tragic and difficult case. It demonstrates the full horror of what can happen to people who are addicted to Class A drugs. As a direct consequence, Miss Harkett is dead and the defendant faces a jail sentence. The judge said that Don was passive and harmless when not on drugs but he became violent when high on heroin and cocaine and for that reason he defined him as a danger to the public. He continued that no one could be sure whether Don would be able to overcome his addiction to hard drugs and only when he had done so should he be considered for release. But just eight years later Don was back on the streets of Swansea, back on heroin and back funding his drugs lifestyle by violently robbing people, especially dealers. Which brings us back to today's story. Detectives suspected that Don was responsible for Jack's murder and they needed to track him down. And quickly, as there was no saying what else this desperate man with a penchant for extreme violence could be capable of doing. They raided a number of areas around Swansea, including his flat, where intelligence suggested Don could be, but there was no sign of him. And during a search of Don's flat, they discovered a holdall containing ropes similar to those used to tie up Jack. This was later shown to be an exact match and used in evidence against him in court. But for now, where was he? Don and Gemma were out and about unaware of the manhunt. The night of Jack's murder, Don had been looking for money and after he was tipped off that Jack Williams sold cannabis and didn't believe in banks, Don suspected that he would be someone he could make money from by taxing him for both his cash and drugs. And he was dead right. When Donna, Gemma and the third man, 45-year-old Simon Cares, who had driven them to Jack's house, when they left Jack's home, they took with them several bags of cannabis worth around £7,000 and a bit of cash from Jack's wallet. But Don hadn't expected to use such violence on the much older man describing him as a feisty bugger. And even though Don had given him a real beating to find out where he kept his drugs and money, Jack hadn't let slip that there was over £10,000 worth of £20 notes on a shelf in the kitchen. Straight after the murder, Don and Gemma went to the flat of another hard drugs user he sometimes bought from and paid her back £40 he owed for some crack cocaine. He then quickly sold the bags of cannabis they'd taken from Jack's house to a local dealer called Tojo for just £150. Remember, it was worth around 7 k Really, it's no wonder that Tojo drove around in a nice black Merc, while Don just operated hand-to-mouth, barely surviving from day to day. Don had also stolen a bag of what he thought was cocaine from Jack and was disappointed by the quality, not realising that what he had stolen was actually the fertiliser used for growing cannabis. As you can see, Don was pretty low level, and in many ways, he was naive. Unaware that Jack had died from his injuries, Don and Gemma spent the next day shopping for Easter eggs in a Tesco near Swansea. Then they bought a second-hand Peugeot car and drove the 40 or so miles east to Cardiff. Over the next few days, Don and Owen stayed in a hotel in Cardiff and they went clubbing while all the time regularly smoking heroin and crack cocaine, now relatively flush with cash. But when they returned to Swansea, they heard the bad news. It was on the 2nd of April that Don's best pal told him that Jack Williams had died. Don couldn't believe what he was hearing and in shock he eventually responded, Fuck off, he's not dead. But when he realised that this was no wind-up, Don began to think of how he was going to get out of the situation. After all, he'd already spent enough time in the slammer to know that this was a place where he didn't want to return. He initially focused on the forensic evidence, asking his mate if DNA could be recovered from the rope he'd used to kill Jack and whether the blood on his tracksuit trousers he was wearing for the murder would give up DNA even after they'd been washed. Don now went properly on the run. Albeit rather than Rio de Janeiro, he made a strategic choice to stay in Swansea. By the 6th of April, Don was still evading the law at another friend's house. She later told how stressed he was by the situation at this stage. He said to her, It all happened so quickly. It wasn't me. All I did was hit him. When I left he was alive. By now he'd also heard about the 10k in cash he'd left behind and he was as upset at this as the fact that he'd murdered Jack. Detectives in a city like Swansea know a lot of people who were associated with Don and the very next day they received word of where Don was hiding and armed officers swooped on a house in the West Cross district of Swansea where they arrested Don hiding in the loft. Like with his friend, Don admitted to officers punching Jack and tying him up, but he denied causing the injuries that killed him, saying that when he left to get the cannabis from upstairs, Jack was still alive. He didn't put Donna in the frame for the murder, but instead blamed the other man, Simon Kens, the one who had driven Love's young dream, to Jack Williams' house on the night he was killed. Kens denied having any role in the attack. He admitted giving Don and Gemma a lift, but then said he sat in his car listening to music, while the other two were inside, presumably buying drugs. He told how he was frozen with shock after being called into the house by Don and seeing Jack tied up and clearly in bad shape on the floor. Ken said, I'd seen him lying in front of me. It was as bad as it gets. I wish I'd had the courage to untie him. Indeed so, Simon. Me too. Don was a particularly unimpressive witness at his trial. When one barrister asked him about an incident when he grabbed his girlfriend Gemma and hit her face against the brick wall, he exploded with rage, saying, There's nowhere on earth that happened. It's a lie. I was trying to make her life better. I've had one tragedy in my life, just that manslaughter. It doesn't make me a violent man. I'm not a domestic abuser. The QC asked about the death of Michelle Harkett and how he'd initially tried to pin the blame on another totally innocent person. He said, That's what you're doing now, isn't it? No, I'm telling the truth, replied Don. The QC continued, It's a desperate attempt to avoid the blame, isn't it? Don again denied it and insisted that he was taking responsibility for what he had done. But again he said that when he left Jack in the care of Cairns, Jack was very much alive and still talking. When the jury returned from their deliberations, they didn't believe Don and he was found guilty of the murder of Jack Williams. Simon Cairns and Donna Owens were found innocent of any crime and both walked out of court a free person. Don was told that for Jack's murder he must serve at least 31 years before release And he was also given a 15-year sentence for robbery, which will be served concurrently to his life sentence. Age 42 at the time, this means that the double killer is highly likely to die in prison. In sentencing, the judge spoke to the viciousness of the crime, where Don had punched Jack in the head, tied him up, then stamped on his back and throat in an attempt to get him to say where the money and drugs were hidden. You left him unconscious on the floor his hands still tied after blows that caused terrible injuries. The judge added that Jack had suffered appalling brain injuries in the attack and had died perhaps up to two hours later. Speaking outside court after the verdict, Jack's brother said of Don, he's a dangerous man and doesn't deserve to walk the streets. What he did to my brother, he could have done to anyone in the local area. And Jack's niece, Emma, also spoke of the effect the murder would have on her life, and recalled when she had first heard the news, saying, Mum came running in. She didn't even need to say anything, and she said it was my Uncle Jack. And I just knew something wasn't right. I knew he had gone, and I don't know why. At that moment, I didn't know what to feel. It didn't feel real at all. I'm angry, she said. I'm really, really angry. If he wasn't out there, then he wouldn't have been able to do that to my uncle. He'd still be here. He didn't want someone to break into his home and do that to him. He didn't want to die then. It's going to take a very long time to be able to fully move on. So what do you make of what we've heard today? Yet another story showing the violence and chaos in the lives of those people suffering from addiction to hard drugs. When she was interviewed by police, Gemma Owens spoke about her brief relationship with Don, saying, He was lovely when he was lovely. There was a nasty side, but I only seen it once. But however lovely he was to Gemma, Don was undoubtedly a nasty piece of work, capable of extreme violence. Although we, of course, feel sorry for his family, who are still in the area, and the silent victims of so many stories we discuss here, as for Don, well, as he wallows in his cell, as you listen to this. I don't think we need to spare him another thought, do you? We talk a lot on this podcast about perception versus reality, and regularly ask just how much we know about even those closest to us. Jack's brother David said the whole family had been understandably shocked when they heard Jack had been killed, and they were just utterly amazed when they found out he'd been secretly growing cannabis. The police told me it was suspicious, but it wasn't until a few days later that they asked me if I knew he was growing cannabis. I'd no idea. he never mentioned it to me, and he'd never smoked it or taken any drugs. I visited his house about five or six times a year, and you could never smell it, and there was never anything suspicious. Apparently he'd been growing it in his attic, but he wasn't even on the police's radar. David is right, of course. But the fact that Jack was dealing in cannabis will mean that some of you will have no sympathy for him. You live and die by the sword if you choose this lifestyle. I get that. And whilst cannabis remains illegal in the UK, then people like Jack are going to keep getting targeted by thugs like Don. I would suggest that surely the law has to change as it is so clear that the war on drugs has been lost. But as I said earlier, whilst those in power still talk of us facing a war on drugs, who knows what will happen? And in this crazy post-Covid, post-Brexit UK, who can predict anything anymore? I might have become the 36th most popular UK true crime podcast in 2022. All bets are off. But whatever you think of Jack, we must still end with our sympathies going to his friends and family. He died a terrifying and violent death, and this is something that those close to him will sadly never be able to erase from their memories. Thank you for listening to this episode of the UK True Crime Podcast. To discuss this story and any other aspect of UK True Crime, please head to the Facebook group where you'll be made. Very welcome, that's the word I was looking for. You'll be very welcome. And to support the show and catch all the exclusive content and bonus episodes and become a better person for the new year, please just head to patreon.com slash UKTrueCrime. So that's all for me for now. And if you are struggling with the January blues, remember, there are only another 51 weeks until Christmas. So on that calendar bombshell, I will leave you for now. So until we speak again next week, please do take it easy and most of all, please stay classy. Cheerio for now.